As night deepens, the market crowds slowly disperse, but the way of the sailors' walk remains bright and raucous. Its gambling parlors and sake houses pour smoke and music into the dark, and the crowded streets brim with people unsuited to polite society. The samurai navigate the knots of drunks and shady-looking dealers, convening at their meeting place, a small square not far from the gentle blossom. Ryojiro and Shio arrive first, and Shio scouts out the remaining food carts while they wait for the others. Though the pickings are slim, she returns with some grilled tofu. They eat in a secluded area of the square, trying not to look conspicuous or nervous, while being very much of both. Atsu and Dayu arrive not long after, with Crow lagging moments behind, arms slung in her cassette. Well? She says through a mouthful of yakitori as she approaches. Do you find anything? There are two Yakuza families that control the city, both based in the same street. One runs an old dilapidated inn, the other a gambling parlor. We were chased away from a house behind the drunken phoenix by a man named Yukira and his thugs. Dayu pauses, the smell of food reminding her of his existence and her own hunger. She watches Shio take a bite of tofu, and Shio offers her the last of it. Dayu murmurs a quiet thank you. Yukira seemed amused. I didn't leave the conversation with a good feeling. Actually, I was surprised he let us leave. That sounds... unusual. Dayu swallows a mouthful of tofu. Certainly wasn't the outcome I expected. Ryojiro, suspicious of eavesdroppers, glances around the dense nighttime crowds. No one pays them any attention, more focused on conversations and pushing carts, but his hackles are raised nonetheless. He tugs anxiously at his sleeve. We may stand out in this crowd. What is our next move? Hmm, perhaps the Smiling Tigers? Though if this Yukira knows something, we may not have to seek the Tigers out. I imagine what one family does. The other does not let go unnoticed. Hmm, I'm not sure Yukira is the best option. I may have bent the truth a little bit, and he seemed to have quite a few men under his control. I had thought to try the Blue Chrysanthemum, though. Dayu finishes her food and wipes her mouth, careful of the white face paint. We should take care not to raise too much suspicion. Let's not forget that Otomo-sama wasn't supposed to get help. The more attention we draw, the more danger the both of them are in. We've already turned some heads. Shio gives Crow an accusing look. Crow stares at her until Shio wrinkles her nose. You are correct. This chrysanthemum is what, exactly? A gambling parlor? A sake house. She does not break eye contact with Shio. Dayu's eyebrow arches into her hat. So who's thirsty, and what should the rest of us do? I imagine all of us going would look odd. Shio huffs, finally looking away from Crow's stare and forfeit. I'd like to volunteer for sake duty. I could go. Maybe some of us should look around the Red Foxes Inn? Preferably not me. As long as you don't mention Kakari, I'm sure it'll be fine. Shio's posture sags in resignation. I suppose I can do that instead. Though I am no investigator, I will do my best. All of us who went to the Phoenix should probably avoid it. Who knows how many of their people were watching? I can offer my eyes, but I'm afraid I may arouse suspicion. Ryujiro gestures to his clothing. Everything is owl-style, and memorable for that alone. His robe is more a hanfu than a kimono wide-sleeved and marked by the elaborate stitchings of an owl 
with outstretched wings across his back and shoulders. Do you have any other clothes, Kitsuki-san? Ryojiro looks at her blankly. He peels off his outer robe, revealing the dark green layer beneath, unmarked by the owl model. He hands it to Atsu for safekeeping and presents himself, arms outstretched. Uh... Hmm. Hmm. I have some that are greener. Crow peers at Jiro long enough to make it awkward, but then her face lights up with an idea. She steps towards him, hands up and ready, but she stops short. She raises her eyebrows as if asking permission to touch him. Ryojiro stares, but doesn't pull away. Crow tugs the collar of his inner robe open, just enough to look less proper, then bows and quietly apologizes before loosening his topknot and retying it into a messy tail. When she's finished, Ryojiro stands in a state of shock, disheveled and confused. Shio tilts her head back and forth several times, taking it in. Well, that might work. Crow stands back to admire her handiwork, looking pensive. Well, you look more like Yakuza. Hmm. I... Ryojiro trails off, shock and inexperience tongue-tying him. He pushes his eyeglasses up onto his nose. Crow raises her eyebrows expectantly. I will do my best. Dayu gives a slow, solemn nod. Shio scratches her nose to avoid bursting into hysterical laughter. It, it'll, it'll have to do. Look more rugged if you can. Yukira seems the type to like that sort of thing. She strikes a strong stance and looks at Ryojiro. He puffs his chest, trying to look more like a barrel and less like an empty water skin. Crow looks doubtful. <laughs> Great. Remember to keep your shoulders out, see? You know, uh, I'll handle the rest, I hope. All right, Kuni-san, Hida-san, and I will go to the sake house. Hopefully we won't see any familiar faces. Shio gives Crow a wild-eyed look. When she rises from her bow, her expression has been reined back in. Best of luck. She removes her fox-marked haori and hands it to Atsu. Ryojiro tries to bow in a cool, collected, masculine way with debatable success. Dayu writes them off for dead with a tired sigh, and departs with Crow and Atsu for the blue chrysanthemum. Shio pulls her hair atop her head in a severe bun, and puts on a smile that says, Stay out of my way. She takes point, parting the crowd for Ryojiro, who practices his swagger on passersby, as they head to the inn. The street near the Red Fox Inn is quiet, the walled garden absent of any guards. Shio eyes the house suspiciously as they approach, pausing before pushing the gate open. Through the house's half-open doors, she can see a handful of men and several women lounging in the common room, talking and drinking, geisha and hired hands lingering with Yakuza. She takes a deep breath and looks at Ryojiro, who is fearfully evaluating what he can see with wide eyes. Good luck. Shio strides in purposefully, Ryojiro sidling behind her while gnawing his lip. She stops at the threshold, where two men block the doorway. One of them immediately straightens and elbows his dozing partner. The more alert of the guards is a man barely taller than Ryojiro, with a scruffy round face, who eyes him with eyebrows quirked. 
Ryojiro sneers at him in return. After a long pause, he turns his attention to Shio. What's your purpose? Shio tilts her head at him in appraisal. Business. A request was made for our skills. The guard scratches the scruff at his chin. Who will you be seeing? <sighs> Yukira. She glances around the room in boredom. I don't wish to make him wait much longer. The shorter guard looks at the floor, flushing with embarrassment. Go on. The floor and the walls of the house are stained and scarred, and in spots the roof visibly sags. Men sprawled half asleep on the floor litter the large common room, their sake cups scattered beside them. Dice clatter against the floor or small tables, and two loud conversations hang as heavily as the Kazami smoke. No one spares Shio and Ryojiro a glance on the way to Yukira's room, past a short hallway and a series of closed doors. Yukira, I would like to speak with you. I am called Keiko. I come to make your acquaintance. A moment passes, then the door opens halfway, revealing Yukira. He is alert despite the hour. He looks him up and down, eyebrows quirked in curiosity. And what's this? We'd wished to make your acquaintance and thought it might be best to be accompanied by something pleasing to the eye. I hope we've not disturbed you. Yukira eyes them dubiously, but Ryojiro's presence softens its edge. His eyes narrow for a moment. He smiles. I see. Is this pleasantry accompanying business? I would not waste your valuable time with mere frivolities. Yukira pauses, then he bows and opens the door all the way, inviting them inside. The room is small but well-furnished, with attractive screens and deep red curtains decorating dilapidated or damaged pieces of the walls. A small lantern sits on the windowsill beside an open bottle of sake. Yukira kneels after Ryojiro and Shio have seated themselves, leaning over to grab the sake bottle. Hmm. Explain, then, what kind of business this is, if you would. I'm sure I could pass on any information to the Oyabun. Does he speak? I like to do, rather than speak. As you can see. Yukira's eyebrows arch. He laughs softly and pours a cup of sake for each of them. Ryojiro leans over the table to pour one for him in return. I cannot claim to be an expert, but I am aware of certain movements within the city that might be of use to you and your family. Shio bows her head in deference, then takes a polite sip of sake. There are rumors of the Smiling Tigers involving Poppy that I may be able to provide. Ah, interesting. And what have you heard? Potential sources outside of your control. I was very concerned, and while I wish for nothing but this family's success, I would be deeply appreciative of a favor in return for this information. Hmm, favor. You will accompany me, then, and speak with the Oyabun. Shio's eyes widen a fraction. Ryojiro's smile freezes. They rise stiffly, letting Yukira lead them to the largest set of doors. Oyabun, it's Yukira. Yukira slides the doors open, his head bowed. The room is finer than the rest of the house, its delicately painted screens aglow in the shrouded candlelight. The only sound is a muffled chatter from the common area. In the back of the room sits the Oyobun of the Red Foxes, reading at a small table. He is a portly hunched man with sagging jowls, 
salt and pepper hair, and a leering, suspicious gaze. He looks up at their entrance and inclines his head. Forgive me for the intrusion, Chutokire-sama. We have visitors with news that has reached us with timely convenience. Yukira invites Shio and Ryojiro to sit across from the Oyabun, then settles himself beside Chutokire with the air of a prince. Shio and Ryojiro bow, deep and respectfully, before taking their seats. Chutokire squints and looks between them, palms on his knees. He hums and whispers something to Yukira before his gaze returns to them. I am Chutokire of the Red Foxes. What are your names? Keiko, and this is my assistant. I am called Jiro. I see. Keiko and uh, Jiro. What news do you bring? Ryo Jiro looks at Shio. Sweat glistens on his brow. We are somewhat new to this village, but that has given us a unique viewpoint. I've been privy to some rumors of late that hint at the Smiling Tiger's involvement with a new source of poppy. Chutokire perks up and rubs his chin. He glances at Yukira, who nods at him. I see. That is surprising. You've done well to inform me of this. Where did you hear these rumors? Uh, what was her name? The one who smelled like horses. She kept asking about that boy. Uh, saying that he was nowhere to be found. You know, boys need someone to take care of them. Or else that happens. What is your meaning? Something thumps distantly in a room nearby, but neither Chutokire nor Yukira react. Shio sits very straight-backed, as if afraid she'll fall over. He refers to a Ronin, one of our agents. We've worked together for many years. She'd hoped that bringing this information to you would make you amenable to granting us a favor. Chutokire's eyes flick between them. He draws back into himself. Hmm. Thank you both for this information. What is it that, uh, you desire? A boy has gone missing. We had hoped to determine his whereabouts as a favor to an old friend. We had hoped you might be able to help us locate him. Shirokire nods slowly. He smiles and picks up a paper fan from the table, waving it idly. Yukira glances at him. The look isn't returned. Ah, I see. And this, uh, friend. What is he called? Ryojiro searches for a window to jump out of. There's one on the far wall, and he thinks he's skinny enough to fit. We know him only by alias. I do not wish to compromise our bargaining relationship, but I would prefer a guarantee of friendship prior to anything further. Chidokure nods, his smile fading. Of course, of course, of course. There's no ill will wished on you or your companion. Beyond the room, the noise of the common area slowly fades as the night's revelry draws to a close. Our deepest gratitude. If you are willing to provide this information to us, I am willing to do the same. Very well. Let's trade, then. Name your offering, and uh, I shall name mine. The information my Ronin has acquired regarding the Smiling Tiger's poppy operations were the names of the most frequent young samurai at your gambling house. Chudokire considers, rubbing his chin. He leans to Yukira and raises his fan, whispering to him behind it. After a moment, he straightens, 
laying the fan in his lap. As an agreement, as a show of good faith, Yukira will provide the list. Yukira leans over to Chudokire's table to find paper and a brush, and begins to write. Once he's finished, he hands it to Ryojiro, whose eyes widen slightly at the script. He quickly hides his recognition, that the handwriting is the same as that of Kokare's ransom note. Kokare's name is absent from the list. Shio bows. You have my deepest gratitude. Eh, I will await your Ronin's information in the coming days. I trust it'll be swift. I would be remiss to be anything but. Yukira leads them out. The Oyabun's beady eyes follow until the door slides shut behind them. The common room is dark and quiet, its revelers asleep on the stained tatami mats or gone home. Yukira and Chidokiri's muffled conversation filters through the door, too low to discern, but doubtless about the deal they just struck. Shio stares at the door for a long, long moment. She chances a glance at Ryojiro from the corner of her eye. She trembles as nerves jolt through her. After he ensures no one is watching, Ryojiro leans close. Yukira wrote the ransom note. Of course. I think they know who we are, too. Shio's eyes follow the line of doors in the hall as she calculates which one the thump from earlier could have come from. She chooses one, gives Ryojiro a look, and sidesteps down the hallway, light on her toes. Ryojiro shifts his weight to follow, but the floorboard groans with a heart-stopping creak. They freeze, looking at one another wide-eyed. No footsteps come. I don't think I can keep my feet quiet. Shio nods and motions for him to stay put, carefully inching the door open. Beyond is a small dark room used as storage space, packed with crates and sacks and smelling of moths. In a corner that has been cleared, a teenage boy sits, gagged and blindfolded beside a tower of crates, his limbs tied to a pole. Kokare. The door sliding open jerks his head up. He shakes, grunting muffled, terrified sounds. Shio rushes over, eyes wide, and removes his blindfold and gag. His face is sunken and sallow, mottled with bruises. It's clear he hasn't eaten in some time. He squints into the dark, sniveling. Please don't kill me. Shio hurriedly covers his mouth. Keep silent. We're here to rescue you. Kokare quiets, his breathing loud and labored. Shio follows his gaze over her shoulder to Ryojiro in the doorway wide-eyed and motioning frantically towards the Oyobun's room. Muttering a curse, she pulls her tanto from her obi and begins cutting his bindings. We have to sneak out of here. She slices through the last tie. Can you walk? He nods, but when he tries to stand, his knees buckle. He trembles, his hands and feet purple from the two tight ropes. Shio's face tightens with frustration. I'll carry you. With a quiet grunt, she hefts the boy over her shoulders. He whimpers and clutches at her back. In the hall, Ryojiro looks for an escape route, opening each shoji door by a crack to see if it leads somewhere else. The last door reveals a set of steep, narrow, uneven stairs that lead upward. 
He's not nearly light enough on his feet to make the climb noiselessly, so he takes a deep breath and chooses the common area instead. The fortunes favor him. He navigates the maze of snoring yakuza, sake cups, swords, and abandoned rice with only a few quiet creaks in the floor. He stops at the doorway and looks back at Shio, beckoning her, but freezing as one of the sleeping men stirs. She shakes her head and bolts for the stairs, praying that Kokari won't weigh her down too much. Shio scales the stairs into the attic, a low-ceilinged and dusty place filled with old, musty baskets. A small, shuttered window overlooks the back garden. It's about a 15-foot drop, Shio judges with a jaundiced eye. Yelling erupts suddenly from the hallway below, making the choice for her. She sucks in a breath. Hold on tight. She jumps. For a kinku, it is not a large fall, but Kokari's weight jars her landing. Her knees buckle as she hits the ground, nearly tumbling them both. She quickly regains her balance and joins Ryojiro at the gate, and they escape into the night. Behind them, the red fox inn buzzes like a disturbed hornet's nest. Following a dead-end adventure to the blue chrysanthemum, Atsu, Dayu, and Crow return to the square, blending into the scenery while they wait. An hour or so passes. The sky opens and it begins to rain. Not long after, the sound of slapping sandals on wet streets heralds the return of their companions. They stare at the approaching spectacle, Shio with Kokari slung over her shoulder, and Ryojiro nearly bare-chested, his robe flapping as he runs ahead of her. Shio breathes heavily, drenched in sweat and rain, and when she sees the others, she nearly melts with relief. She wobbles over to Atsu and shoves Kokari into his arms. Atsu stares blankly. It is good to see you safe, Hitsune-san. Kokari glances around, wild-eyed. Who are you? What is this? Where's my father, Diddy? Relax, boy. You will not be harmed. Best not to lurk in the street with... She turns a bewildered look on Kokari. Him. Where shall we go? Into that masked insect's tea house with him. Or should we perhaps travel the streets alone? Dayu stares at Ryojiro and Shio. They give her a sharp look. Ryojiro scrambles to pull his rope shut. Better in the tea house than out here. And no, definitely not, Kunisan. The red foxes are very displeased. Crow raises her eyebrows, nods, and starts towards the Ochaya. Atsu trudges behind, carrying Kokari like an oversized baby. They surrender their weapons to the gentle blossoms bouncer with greater reluctance than the first time. The red-haired geisha, Kaori, perks up at their entrance. It's good to see you all again. Her gaze slides, lingering on Crow for a moment. She looks at Kokari, her eyebrows twitching together. Her lips press into a line. Hmm, very well. Follow me. She bows and secures a samurai a private room, smaller than the common area and comfortably quiet. Beyond the paper walls are muffled, distant sounds of biwa and soft conversation. Dayu stares at Atsu as they shuffle inside. Once you've deposited the boy, would you accompany me to his father's house? I'm sure you would be more than enough to dissuade any who would stop us. Atsu sets Kokari down in a corner like a piece of furniture. He fixes his dead fish eyes on Dayu. I will, but we would do well to be unseen. 
and swift. Let's hurry. Atsu borrows a sukigasa from someone's table as the two of them take their leave. He gives Dayu an okay hand gesture while looking conspicuously inconspicuous. Dayu dons her hat, but since she always has it, it isn't much of a disguise, and she leads the way out. Shio takes a seat by the doorway, back stiff and hands clasped tight at her sides. Hokari sits silently against a wall, like a plank of wood covered in dirt and sweat. He's too shell-shocked to do much beside what he's told, and well past the point of begging for his life. Only his eyes move. Pro crosses to Kokari and leans in, looking him over thoroughly now that things have calmed down. Are you alright? Do you need anything? She hesitates, then gives his shoulder a reassuring squeeze. Kokari stares at her, his eyes unfocused, and slowly shakes his head. I... I don't know what to say. How did you... Are they dead? The foxes? They'll come for me again, I... The door slides open, cutting him off. Kauri bows deeply, kneeling at the threshold. Shio gives her a sharp look, then allows her inside and pulls the door shut. Kauri promptly seats herself and takes up her shamisen, muffling their conversation with vigorous strumming. They aren't dead. Shio's movements are tight and mechanical as she resettles, but the music relaxes her. Ryojiro leans towards Kokari, scowling with exasperation. Otomo-san, why did you incite them so? Kidnapping? This was merely debts? Or was it something greater? Kokari shakes his head, hard. I didn't... I didn't do anything. Nothing. Do you need anything, Samurai-sama? Ro looks around, at Kokari, then back to Kaori. Saki? Rice? Rice. Shio frowns, bowing her head as if Crow has reminded her that politeness exists. Tea for our friend Otomo-san. Kaori smiles and sets her shamisen aside. She stands in one smooth movement and disappears much the same as she arrived. Crow's eyes follow Kaori as she leaves, then gives Kokari a forced smile. It would help us if you told us what happened. Kokari's throat bobs with a hard swallow. I, I didn't do anything, I... Yes, I went to the Phoenix sometimes, but they're trying to use me against my father for political gain. To gain the Magistrate's protection. I heard it. I swear it. You small-time Yakuza, with one gambling parlor need protection? What plans could they have? Ryojiro inspects him closely, making notes of the lines in his face, the way he frets at his Hakama. As best he can tell, Kokari is telling the truth, or the best version that he knows. Kokari wipes dirt from his cheeks, his eyes averted. The door slides open. Kauri enters with a small tray of bowls of rice, sake, and tea. Pro immediately stands to his sister, taking the tray and spreading its contents across the table. Pro pours everyone sake. She even offers Kauri some, who returns the favor once Pro finally relinquishes the bottle. I... I know the Kasuga-san, the magistrate, she... I heard she does business with the foxes, with their smuggling. Hmm. Your father will be with us soon. I'll help sort all this out. You're safe for now. Kokari flinches at the word father. Thank you. Thank you again for your rescue. But you must understand, they will not stop. They're coming for my father, I know they are. Crow's smile softens. Eat first, Otomo-san. Things will work out. Kokari stares into his tea. 
Atsu and Dayu easily locate Otomo Sojin's home, a large several-floor estate within the center of the city. Outside the Otomo home, the streets are dark and empty. The pair pause at the garden gate, peering through the slats. No candles burn in the windows or in the lanterns hanging from the awning. All is quiet save the dull pounding of rainfall. Dayu slowly turns her head, canvassing the area. Her gaze halts on a small, dark figure dressed in black and leaning against the house, watching them. She tilts her head in their direction. Hida-san, look. Mm, this is not good. Spotted, the figure jerkily rises up and scrambles up the house onto the roof. They rush forward, leaping effortlessly and clearing a distance between rooftops. A flash of lightning brightens the sky, illuminating a runner likely off to warn their master. Dayu's eyes narrow to slits. She snatches a scroll from her satchel and, standing tall, calls out to the kami of the storm and rain and to Osanowo. For a heartbeat, the bolt of lightning sets the world ablaze. The runner jerks, then goes still, their body a stiff silhouette against the sky. As soon as the electricity releases them, they drop. There's a scrape and a distant thud of their body sliding from the roof and meeting the earth. A small tree nearby bursts into flame, hissing and spitting in the rain. Atsu blinks away spotty vision from the flash, his expression grim. Someone will have seen that. Dayu returns her scroll to its case, shielding it from the rain. Just lightning in a storm. Happens all the time. They shouldn't have been on a roof in this weather. We should check inside quickly while we still can. The house is conspicuously empty of life. Not even a servant greets them as they near the entrance. The sliding door quivers in gusts of wind, slightly ajar. Atsu grimaces, opening the door a little wider. He sticks his head inside and glances around. It looks as though the cowards have fled. So they were watching the house, and that man was left here to stop anyone who came looking. We should warn the others. At the gentle blossom, Shio, Crow, and Ryojiro wait in varying degrees of restlessness for their companions to return. As the night grows late, Shosuro Kane joins them. She nurses a cup of tea in silence, mask slightly lifted from her mouth. Kaori plucks out slow notes on her shamisen, the conversation having long since faded. Hokari rocks in his seat, nervously glancing around, his paranoia worsening with time. An hour passes before the soft conversation in the common room turns abruptly into screams. The samurai rise to their feet, their hands going for their weapons, but finding none. Where is Shosuro Kane? A voice calls from beyond the room. Makari scrambles to the corner as the door is thrown open, and the paper wall bulges and tears. A half-circle of red fox yakuza loom in the threshold, clubs and katana at their sides. The man leading them is Koji, the ronin from the drunken phoenix, and Machida Yasumi. Kane slowly stands, fingertips pressed together. You are speaking with her? The foxes will not look kindly upon this, Shosuro-san. If you interfere with the Oyabun's business, 
He interferes with yours. Kaori's tea spills onto the tatami as Koji grabs her around the neck, his katana pointed outward. His eyes dart around the room, then settle on Kokari, who stares at him wide-eyed. Kane twitches forward, but catches herself and goes still. The Oyabun do not need to do this. You have made your choice. You'll come with us, boy. The rest of you would be wise to let this end here. Crow lunges for him suddenly, sending him back onto his heels despite Koji swinging wildly. The blade grazes Crow's shoulder, but she is too sudden, too close for him to do more. Kaori draws a razor-sharp Aikuchi from Hirobi, shoving it into the meat of his thigh, and takes advantage of his loosened grip to wiggle free. As he grunts and stumbles, swiping for her, she dives away and huddles on the other side of the room alongside Kane. She holds her throat, crouching defensively in front of the shaking Kokari. Crow ducks under a wide swing, wrenches Koji's sword from his hand, and sends it clattering. She lurches forward, tightens a hold on his middle and heaves with all her strength, hurling him over her shoulder. He crashes onto the table, cleaving it in two, and scattering rice and tea across the room. Shio kicks his blade across the tatami mat and jabs her elbow into the bridge of his nose, ducking under another Yakuza's club. She sweeps his leg and sends him stumbling, then sprints through the torn paper, scrambling to find her weapons. Ryojiro grabs Koji's fallen katana, putting himself in front of Kokari and Kaori. He meets a lunge from a Yakuza with a wild, clumsy swing, halfway squeezing his eyes shut when it does not connect. But nothing comes. There is a sickening crunch, and another squelch of parting flesh. Blood pools in front of the Yakuza's gray cotton kimono. He stumbles, Kaori's Aiguchi jutting from between his ribs, mouth agape, and he slumps. He does not move again. In the common room, several paper walls have been cut down. Panicked customers spill out of the upper floor and private rooms through puckered, shattered walls into the rain outside. A red fox huffs and heaves, trading swipes and shoves with a guard out the door. Relief fills the bouncer's gaze as Shio approaches, even if he seems to have the upper hand. He sidesteps a swing and throws open the weapons cabinet, spilling several swords onto the floor. Shio grabs her katana and draws it free from the Saya, grunting as a blade grazes her shoulder. She shoves a stumbling Yakuza, knocking him through a wall and into the street. She then whirls, leveling her blade at the other. He hesitates, terror bright in his eyes, then sprints away into the dark. Do you think this is worth it, Ronan? Koji scrambles to his feet and spits, gesturing around them. He presses frantically against his thigh, trying to stem the flow of blood. Do you? Crow kneels next to Kaori, offering an arm to help her up, and holds Koji's gaze unflinchingly. He grits his teeth, limps towards the burst wall, and bolts. Shio watches him go, clutching the cut on her arm. Atsu and Dayu stand dripping wet in the entryway, returned from their trip to the Otomo estate. Atsu surveys the carnage disapprovingly, watching the Okasan kneel before shattered porcelain and torn paintings. Shio smiles at them, unsure. Kokari looks up from his hunched position in the corner now that the fighting has stopped. His eyes dart around the room, focusing on the single body limp in the center of it. You... you let him get away? He's going to... he's going to go back? Back to Chudokire, we have to... Ryojiro looks a mix of shocked and pleased, 
as if he can't believe that went so well. He drops a Yakuza's sword with distaste. Well, I'm sure they'd be missed if they didn't return. Thank you, Samurai. Kane thumbs away a drop of blood on her sleeve. She crosses to check on Kaori, bowing her head to Crow. Yes, thank you. Kaori bows deeply. She and Kane exchange hushed reassurances as the woman gently tilts her head this way and that, noting the small, budding bruise on her throat. Crow lingers nearby, stealing glances. We can handle them if that's the best they've got. Crow's arm has come free of her kosode, and she rolls her shoulder as if she's just engaged in a sport rather than a skirmish. I think... I think Yukira was one of the ones who kidnapped me, but he and Oyabun, they're not warriors. The others are worse. Atsu scratches the side of his nose. These? He nudges the dead Yakuza with his foot, unimpressed. Shio wipes her sword and sheathes it in a single movement. We will have to fight regardless. They will hunt us otherwise. Best not to give them much of a head start, then. Crow flexes the fingers of her sword arm, stepping over the broken wooden threshold to retrieve her weapons. Shio frowns as she surveys the ruined Ochaya, her eyes deep pits of tiredness. Torn paintings and upturned tables lie scattered, and rice litters the tatami mats. They won't expect us back tonight. Now is the best time. Ryojiro nods, equally exhausted. He daintily navigates the shattered tables in porcelain. Judging by their state when we left, they're drunk and tired. Atsu shrugs as though he had something else to do tonight, but decided this was better. We shouldn't leave Otomo-san here. Not with his father and Okoto-sama still gone. Yes, he will likely find himself killed or kidnapped again, left unattended. Samurai signs I'm... I'm... Alright. I'll go with you. With apologies to the Okasan of the Gentle Blossom, they retrieve their weapons from the splintered cabinet and exit into the night. After a few minutes, Atsu clears his throat. <clears throat> and what is the plan when we arrive at this fox den? Crow shrugs. Kill them, I imagine. Atsu considers this with a not-bad expression. The Red Fox Inn is quiet as they approach, but a foreboding chill hangs heavily over the twilight air. Rain slides off of the eaves and sheets, and past a set of wooden stairs, the front doors lie open. In the center of the common room sits Oyabun Chutokire, Yukira at his right side. Yakuza in gray and black kimono, ten in all, sit in a line that spans the width of the room. Koji the Ronin, whose wounds have been hastily patched, sits among them, katana laid across his lap. Atsu's fists tighten so hard that they creak, and the veins in his forehead start bulging. Dayu, Kokari at her side, keeps herself well surrounded by a safety bubble of samurai. She flicks her war fan open. Stay close, Otomo-san. Crow slows, thumb on her katana, and stops just short of the door. She smiles thinly. Expecting company? Yukira laughs. He smiles at Crow, eyebrows arched. These are unfortunate affairs you meddle in, I must admit. Are you the Ronin Kitsune Shio spoke of, or was that also deception? Crow raises an eyebrow, glancing at Shio. 
She eyes her sidelong, squinting against the rain. Crow looks back to Yukira. Does it matter? Not very much, I suppose. You're quite bold to approach us directly. Shio returns Yukira's smile, unsurprised by the use of her real name. Boldness should be answered by boldness. You've threatened a member of the Imperial family, after all. So it is. Yukira looks at Kokari, trembling behind them. Pity, really. Such a handsome young man. The Yakuza's swords click from their saya. His tragic death will be most unfortunate. Koji surges to his feet and draws his katana, advancing on them with vengeance in his eyes. Ryojiro draws his wakazashi in desperation as Koji's blade slices through his sleeve, swiping at him reflexively. He grazes the Yakuza's shoulder, spattering a thin line of blood on the wall. His charge thrown off balance, Koji lunges, catching a strand of Crow's hair in his swing. Crow takes a wide step, then another, and brings her katana upward, slicing into his thigh. He grunts and falls, a gout of blood smearing across the floor. An older Yakuza shouts a kiai and lunges for Crow, raising her neck as she ducks. She digs a heel into his back, sending him sprawling to the floor. Another rushes to challenge her while his companion recovers, quicker on his feet. Crow sidesteps the thrust. When he turns on his heel to strike again, he steps into the upward arc of Crow's katana. The blade opens him from belly to shoulder, and he falls to the ground in a spray of blood and gore. She flicks the blood from her blade, bearing down on the others, Shio beside her. Shio catches a nearby Yakuza in the side, and finishes him in a quick series of strokes. They circle and sidestep, their blades flashing in lightning-fast strikes. The broadest of the Yakuza brings his club down on Atsu's back with a massive whoomp. Atsu staggers, eyes rimmed red with anger. He rams the butt of his Tetsubo into the Yakuza's gut, sending him to the floor. The Yakuza rolls a second too late, crushed beneath the weight of a single mighty blow. Atsu spits blood, turning a wild-eyed look at another Yakuza distracted by his companion's death. The Yakuza flinches away, but not far enough to avoid a stunning blow to the temple. Shio finishes him with a single arcing stroke. One of the Yakuza from the Gentle Blossom charges for Ryojiro. The man is drunk and tired, his footwork sloppy, his swings messy, but Ryojiro is no warrior. Ryojiro stumbles out of the way of a wide overhead swing, and when the Yakuza raises his arm, Ryojiro shoves his wakazashi into his ribs, hard. It sinks deep into his side with a crunch, and the Yakuza crumples to the ground. Ryojiro stumbles backwards, wiping his forehead, emboldened but breathing hard. Dayu stands still in the chaos, uttering the words of the kami from a scroll. One of the remaining Yakuza lunges for her, but is stopped short by Atsu's Tetsubo. It unseats his shoulder, his collarbone, and cheek, reducing him to a pile on the tatami. For a time, the kami do not answer Dayu's call. Then, slowly, Fire flickers to life in little sparks around her hands. Around her feet, around the corpses, a line of flame creeps and begins to devour everything around her. A rare look of concern breaks her concentration. This is very clearly not what she had intended. Yukira and Chudokuri have long since begun to look worried. The sight of fire destroys the remnants of her palm. Yukira stands, 
quickly helping Chidokiri to his feet, and the remaining Yakuza cover their retreat into the rear of the building. Atsu's steps cracked the smoldering floorboards, Tetsubo raised high above his head, his focus locked onto Yurikira. Yukira's eyes widen in shock, then relax in acceptance as Atsu swings. There is a sound of wood crushing flesh and bone as Chudokirei throws himself in front of Yukira. He collapses with a heavy thump. Atsu draws back in surprise, his second swing stalled. Yukira gapes in horror at Chudokirei's blood pooling at his feet. Chudokirei! Eyes wide, he stumbles backwards. He turns for the rear of the house first, but the floorboards buckle with heat, and the doorway is aflame. Choking on smoke, he staggers out the front door and into the garden. Shio curses and lunges after him, but trips on fallen Yakuza's weaponry, nearly spilling into the flames. When she scrambled back to her feet, Yukira is gone. Crow watches him go, then her head whips around searching for Kokari. He stands near the door, stunned as ash and cinders fall around him. She straightens, flicks the blood from her katana, and wipes the blade in the crook of her sleeve before sheathing it. She starts urging Kokari out the door. Crow stalls, slowly retreating as she watches the fire spread. She then turns and bolts out of the house, forearm over her nose and mouth. The front door slumps in its frame, its paper screens ablaze, and Koji and the remaining Yakuza scatter in panic. They spill out of the house, sprinting into the night. The Red Fox Inn erupts into a furious blaze, its sunken roof cracking and splintering. The samurai barely manage to clear the stairs before a raptor crashes down over the entrance, sealing it off as the roof collapses. Yukira sprints headlong through the alley. Dayu turns and draws her scroll, her gaita sliding in the mud. Her hoarse prayer to the kami floats over a deafening crack of thunder and the pounding of rain. The bolt of lightning connects. Yukira folds to the ground. The samurai freeze, stunned into horrified silence. When they turn to stare at Dayu, she does not meet their eyes. Concentration and discomfort on her face as she puts her scroll away. Regret flashes on her features, then takes hold. Her steps falter slightly, one foot, then the other, until she rushes to collect them. When they reach Yukira, they find him charred, his kimono blackened, his tabby half burned off. The left burned side of his face is a ruin that has left him with a stump and an ear. The burn extends into his hairline, where his hair is singed and his skin twisted. He takes in heavy, labored breaths that rattle in his chest. Atsu grunts, inhaling painfully. He wipes soot and sweat from his brow, gesturing towards him with his tetsubo. What should we do with him? Dayu kneels at his side, muttering prayers under her breath. It's unclear who exactly they are for. She produces a scroll from the case at her hip and begins an incantation, gingerly resting a finger on his charred shoulder. Shio watches with a frown, pity in her eyes but not much sympathy. Yukira lays in shock. Chudokire! The rest is listless and hard to make out. Crow winces. She pulls her arm back into her sleeve. Soft, greenish-blue light surrounds Dayu's fingers. 
Yukira's skin begins to soften, the deep red burns stitching together. But even the Kami can only do so much for such damage. Once it is clear she can do no more for him, Dayu tends to Atsu's wounds. Kokari steps forward, trembling with shock but morbidly curious. Pro turns to him, seizing any excuse to look away. Otoma-san, where might we find your father? He would be staying near the Magistrate's home. He swallows and looks at Crow belatedly, distracted by the sight. Dayu smooths a hand over a gash on Atsu's arm. No, the Magistrate's home is being watched, and I am sure your father and Akoto-sama are fine. Okari turns a worried look on Dayu. Maybe we should go to the Dental Blossom. We can think on where we'll look next, and we can help them clean up. Atsu leans down, carefully hefting Yukira into his arms. They start toward the tea house. Dawn is fast approaching when they arrive, a warm orange glow cresting a horizon of rooftops. Tired geisha, dressed in simpler clothes for sleep, clean the mess that the red foxes have left. The ronin at the door does not collect their weapons, too busy heaving a shattered doorframe atop a pile of ruined tables and shoji frames as they step inside. Kokari! Torokai and Otomo Sojin, freshly dressed and more awake than any of them, approach from the eastern street. Sojin stops in his tracks, brows furrowed, features halted halfway between joy and anger. Father, I... For, forgive me, Father, I... There will be time for that later, Kokari. I'm glad to see you safe. Torokai watches, stoic but relieved, hands folded behind his back. He looks away as the pair of Otomo converse more quietly, turning toward the samurai. It is good to see you safe, samurai. He smiles. I apologize for not contacting you sooner. I couldn't be sure I was safe. Crow bows, suddenly aware that they are sooty, streaked with blood, and soaking wet. The rest of the samurai follow suit as Torokai ushers them inside. I take it you were... successful. Sojin tries not to look at Yukira, bandaged and limp in Atsu's grasp. Atsu stares somewhere above Sojin's head. <clears throat> we found your son, did we not, Otomo-sama? This is the last of his captors. The others fled. We thought it best for you to see to his punishment. Sojin nods, unsteady and ashamed. I... yes. I thank you for your... Assistance. And for Okoto-san's protection. What happened to... I should not ask. I thank you. Ryojiro motions to Yukira, his brow drawn. He is rather young and deserves a chance to reform his life with better guidance. Dayu stares at Ryojiro. Crow nods. A long, awkward silence deepens. Broken as Crow unceremoniously turns away to help the geisha clean. Shio follows. Yes, well, he is a criminal, Kitsuki-san. That is for the Kami to decide, not us. Hida-san, if you would come with me, we will take care of this boy. Okoto-san, will you accompany us? Of course, Otomo-sama. Mm, yes, Otomo-sama. They follow the pair of Otomo into the rain. 
leaving Dayu and Ryojiro to stand in the Ochaya's ruined common room. It's been a long night. It's hard to tell if the circles beneath Dayu's eyes are from face paint, soot, or tiredness. She looks at Ryojiro, who's already studying her profile. It has, Kunisan. They begin to clean. The rain falls. For all the latest updates in our podcast, be sure to check us out on Twitter at SITWL5R. You can also join our Discord server to talk L5R, Tabletop, and everything in between. Shadows in the West is played using the fourth edition of the Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game, developed by Alderac Entertainment Group and owned by Fantasy Flight Games.